We are starting a new sermon series this morning through the book of Exodus. We just finished up our awkward sermon series, and uh, I, I loved what God did in that in, in that these past four weeks, just kind of exploring this understanding that our Christian faith sometimes is awkward, um, and even though it's awkward, we're still called to do it, right? Um, and there's encouragement in that, and there's the help of the Holy Spirit as we explore our faith and as we mature. And uh, today we're starting a new sermon series through the book of Exodus, and we'll be going through this for about 14 weeks, um, and it's a good chunky length of time. We're going to explore uh, what it means. Uh, well, here, here's, here's what you might be asking. Why the book of Exodus? It's like, why not just another sermon on, um, you know, kind of current life issues, like if I'm, I'm dealing with anxiety or parenting or or, or a marriage or, you know, violence or social justice, all these things that face us every day, right? And what I love about the book of Exodus is that it helps us answer all of those things that we currently face. It's not just a book that was written thousands of years ago that we're just kind of like going to look through the history of it and geek out about the history. What we're going to do is be able to geek out a little bit about how it affects our lives as Christians, and um, one of the major themes that we're going to see over and over and over in this book is this idea of God drawing out his people and bringing them into something. You, you know, we obviously see that with the nation of Israel. God, God, you know, they cry out to God for a deliverer from slavery, and God draws them out of slavery, out of darkness, into freedom. And it's the same for you and I. Even as we walk through the Christian life, there's this God drawing us out. He calls us. He saves us. We sang about it this morning. You know, I didn't deserve it. I didn't own it. But yet you reached down and you rescued me. And so there's this sense that God draws us out by his perfect love. But then what does he do? He brings us into. And, you know, the easy part is the drawing out, right? The easy part is when God's, God comes down and he rescues us and he reveals his grandeur, he reveals his holiness and his purity and he draws us out of our quagmire, out of our swamp of sin. And then what does he say? He says, be holy like I am holy. Remember that in 1 Peter? We're like, whoa, that's, that's intense. And that's the hard part. And we're going to see that over and over with, with Israel is that there was this God, it was the easy part, like they see all these signs and wonders and like, this is amazing stuff, and then they get through the wilderness where it becomes hard. And I want to encourage you this morning, I love this book because it's not just, it's not just history of something that happened, it's, it's life day, uh, it's, it's everyday life, things that we face. Um, here's a big word, can everybody repeat this after me? Everybody say, Pentateuch. Okay, that was, that was like a third, okay. All right, let's, let's try it for three thirds, ready? Pentateuch, much better. Okay, that one uh, was about 75%. Pentateuch, okay, hey, there you go. That's a good response. Pentateuch, that's a big fancy word for the first five books of the Bible that were written. And uh, most, most theologians, most commentaries would say that Moses was the author of the first five books. Pentateuch you know, five, like pentagram or pentagon or penta, penta, pent, pent. I don't know. Just pen means five. But it's the first five books of the Bible. 
But what you're going to see over and over again, too, is this theme. Here's what I love about Exodus. It's not an isolated book by itself. And we're going to read a little portion of Scripture today. And if you weren't, if you didn't know that it was connected to other points of Scripture, you'd just kind of be like, okay, there's some information. What do I do with that? But when we look at the book of Exodus as a connected point of uh, the five books and the whole overarching part of the narrative of Scripture, we see when we read little parts of Scripture like we're going to do today, we see how it connects to the whole picture. Um, It's almost like one of my favorite music composers in movies is a guy named John Williams. Anybody ever heard of his name? John Williams. If you don't know who he is, you have definitely heard his music. Uh, He's written Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Empire of the Sun, Jurassic World now, Jurassic Park. I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. Superman. And have you ever noticed if if you're watching a movie with a musical score, it doesn't matter where you are in the movie, you still hear the same theme throughout the whole movie. Whether it's like um, Darth Vader coming in, you know, kicking some serious rebel butt, and he's coming in, and what song is playing? Dun, 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 right? We all know that, we all love it. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but the, like, then in Return of the Jedi, when, when Luke puts his body on the, on, the, on the fire, and he's burning it up, and he's saying goodbye to his dad, you know, he's like, he's turned to the light side, you still hear that same theme, but it's played a little bit differently. It's like, with a, with a nice harp, right? And it's all intimate, and you're, but it's the same theme you're hearing over and over. And that's what the book of Exodus does. When we read it, we can see these themes over and over and over again in Scripture. So what I love is that it's not just this isolated story of history that something happened, you know, 6,000, 5,000 years ago, and we go, wow, that's really neat. We should be able to, as Christians, look at that and hear the score that is being played over and over. And another cool thing about it, let's just use, let's keep going with Star Wars, all right? <laughs> Some of us are like, Ugh. But Star Wars, I don't know if you, if you, you know, grew up watching Star Wars. I remember, you know, seeing it as a kid, the, the very first ones in the, in the theater. Actually, I remember watching Empire Strike Back, Strikes Back, and there's a scene where I, I think they were in the Millennium Falcon, and the film melted halfway through, and I, I was, I don't know why that stuck in my mind, but that's when they had film. Where am I going with the point? Okay, here's what I'm trying to say. Is, I don't know if you guys just watched the last, the first, no, how do we say this? Because there was like 1977 and then 1990, they all come out at different times. But if you don't know Star Wars and you watch the new one that just came out and Han Solo and Chewbacca come on the Millennium Falcon, you're sitting there and everybody in the movie theater ears like (laughs) crying or they're cheering and you've never watched Star Wars before and you're going, what is that big hairy monkey thing, right? And he goes, and everyone's like, yes! <laughs> well, here's the problem. If, if you just read Exodus out by itself, the hairy monkey thing comes on the scene and you're just like, I don't understand what's going on. But when you understand it as part of a bigger story, when it's part of this biblical narrative that continues all the way from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, when the hairy monkey person comes on the scene, you're like, oh, it's Chewbacca, right? 
or Lord of the Rings when you go back and watch The Hobbit and you're like, when you see Bilbo grab the, the ring for the first time, you're like, oh, that's the one ring. Oh my gosh, there it is. And that's what we're going to do this morning is, is understand. We're not going to do that, but <laughs> just to whip your appetite a little bit. Here's the two things I want us to remember as we unpackage these, these eight verses this morning. One is God has a plan. And point number two, God's plan usually doesn't work out the way you think it will. God has a plan, but God's plan usually doesn't work out the way you think or sometimes the way you want it to, right? Now let me just preface before we jump into our, our text this morning, um, if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. But before we get there, let me just say this. That as Christians, we are not deists. Now some of you are like, oh, what's that? that's a big word. What does that mean? Basically, a deist is somebody who says, I believe that there's a God. I believe that God created everything, the universe, myself included, I believe that, I see this, the story in Genesis, I believe that God was intimately involved with creation, but the moment that he created, when it was all finished, on the, on the seventh day he rested, then God kind of took a cosmic sofa break and sat on the couch and kind of just chilled out afterwards. And then what he does is he leaves the rest of life up to us to figure out. Every once in a while, if God looks down and sees humanity and goes, whoa, 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 what's going on here? This is a real big mess. I better intervene somehow. Uh, then he'll step in. But for the most part, God is just up there. He's this big kind of far lofty, transcendent, you know, uh, big man upstairs kind of idea. And he is, he's really in charge, but he's not really intimately involved. And that is the furthest from the truth of what we as Christians believe. We're not deists. We believe that God is intimately involved in every single aspect of our lives, every day, every moment, every second, whether you're brushing your teeth, whether you're dreaming, whether hair falls from your head, he knows about it all, and he's in control of it all, and he's intimately involved in our lives. Now, I know by, by experience, some of us here this morning would say, I, I know that by what I've been taught and what I've heard that yes, God is intimately involved in my life, but through experience, sometimes it feels like I live in a deist universe. Like I know God's up there, I know he created, but sometimes it feels like God's just kind of watching like the Bette Midler from a distance and he's just kind of like letting me figure it out. You guys ever have that feeling sometimes? I know I do. And the challenge for us this morning is to latch on to the truth of who God is. Reject the deist's understanding of our creator God and latch on to the gospel understanding that God is big, yes, he's transcendent, yes, but he's imminent, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us. So let's get into our, our scripture this morning. Uh, Exodus, that's the second book of the Bible. For those of you who may be a little bit newer to scripture, and we're going to start in, in chapter 1. And, um, well, let's just read it. Exodus chapter 1, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. We're going to be reading through the ESV standard version. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, 
Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, that's a weird name, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, a bunch of weird names, right? Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Okay, let me just stop right there. So if you know the story at all, Joseph, you remember, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. They, were, they hated him because he was a little spoiled brat, so to speak. That's my translation of the Bible. And he was always telling his brothers how much better he was than them and all these kind of things, and they just had enough. So one, they decide to kill him, and then one reasonable brother out of these guys says, no, 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 let's not really kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery. Where does he end up? He ends up in Egypt. The rest of his family ends up in Egypt, and they multiply a bit here to 70 people, but then we're going to continue reading. Uh, verse 5, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. We just talked about that. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all of that generation. Okay? So all those people that Joseph brought, they all died out. But the people of Israel, this family of, J of Joseph, were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So here we have this family. It's like, remember we talked about us being sojourners and exiles when we went through 1 Peter? We, they moved to this foreign land through God's providence. They end up settling there, about 70 of them all together. But then what happens? They stay there. They begin to multiply. They're like rabbits. They just look. And then they expand and expand and expand. It's so great that they multiply. And there's so many of them. The Bible would say there was about three to four million of these people, okay? So, now that we have our scripture for this morning, let's look at the musical score. Remember we talked about that? Remember we talked about how there's this theme going through our scripture? Let's go back to the John Williams, so to speak, theme of what's happening here. So, if you have your Bibles, turn back to Genesis chapter 3, and that's the very first book of the Bible. You guys all right? Okay. There's, a lot of, there's going to be a lot of talk uh, going back and forth in Scripture this morning. But in Genesis chapter 3, it says this in verse 15. I will put, this is God, this is after the fall, Adam and Eve sin, and God is speaking to them, and he says this, I will put enmity, which is mutual hate, and my wife loves this portion of Scripture here, between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent who deceived Eve. And between your offspring and her offspring. And then here's our key point of what I want to draw out this morning. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is speaking of Jesus. So here we have this, we have this first theme introduced to us of salvation. Now, for those of us who are kind of biblical nerds, if you know anything, this is what's called the proto-evangelium, Okay? Pro, 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 yeah, proto-evangelium. It's the first kind of mention of the gospel. And what God is speaking to Adam and Eve here, he's saying there's going to be this distance between you, but there's going to be this mutual hate between the serpent and the woman, and most of the women in here are like, amen, right? A snake, eh, disgusting. It's biblical, okay? But it's not just that this interesting fact that it's being biblical that why we hate snakes. There's this mention of Jesus the heel of Christ being bruised by the serpent, but yet the serpent's head being crushed by the Savior. All right? So we see this first mention. 
of salvation. What is God doing? What is God saying here? What is God's plan? Well, let's continue with that and skip over to Genesis chapter 12. So we have Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they they flourish. They have all these kids. And then lo and behold, this guy named Abram comes on the scene. And in chapter 12, this is a very famous portion of scripture. In verses 1 through 3, God speaks to Abram and he says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So we see this first picture of of salvation in in Genesis chapter 3, and then we see it kind of disseminated into into humans, into life, into the everyday essence of what's happening into this man named Abram. And he says to Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations, and I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and through you, everybody's going to be blessed. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, you know that Jesus comes through the line of Abram or Abraham. But it doesn't end there. Let's continue. Let's, well, let, here's the thing. Let's go back to Exodus 1, verse 7. What does it say about the nation of Israel? They multiplied, became very great, exceedingly great. So, here's what I want us to understand. This is a lot of history. This is a lot of nerd stuff, a lot of nerd Christianity stuff. But God has a plan from the very beginning. God has, with even the fall of Adam and Eve, he has a plan in place. And he says, here is the way of salvation. And then he does it through a man named Abram. And then we see in Exodus 1-7, it's starting to become reality. These people multiply and increase. And there's so many of them. Now, remember my second point is it doesn't usually happen the way we think it will. Let's go back to Genesis. You guys doing all right? I know it's a lot of scripture. This is just a little foundation for the sermon series. But if we can get through this, we'll understand the rest of what we're going to be doing. So uh, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. So remember, God tells Abram, you're going to have tons of kids, right? They're going to be like the, the stars. And then Abram's like, what are you talking about? I don't have any kids. Uh, I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer was like the weird cousin, Okay. Or the, he was the, actually the nephew, but he's like, the, he's like, this is the guy? This is the only guy who's going to, this is the guy who's going to be? And, and so God continues and says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. So Abram's like, okay, God, you told me this thing. What's going on? I don't understand it. 
It's not happening the way I thought it would happen. You told me I'm going to have a lot of kids, right? Then we read, now, sorry, a lot of jumping back and forth. Go back to Exodus 1, verse 8. This is the point in the story where the music goes, bum, bum, bum. You know that part in the movie? This is the point in the movie, and it says this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. See, what happened here is we, we start to see God's plan unfolding the way that everyone thought it would happen. Even with Abram, who at first didn't think, but we know through faith God gives him a child. It's a miraculous story. And then that becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes of Israel move to Egypt, and there's 70 of them, but then they be, go beyond 70. They're just like really excited about each other, and they multiply a whole bunch. And then all of a sudden, verse 8 happens in the story, and there arose a king in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He didn't know these people. It even says later that this king gets pretty afraid of all these people are multiplying, and he says, what shall we do because they're going to overtake us? And he puts them into slavery. It doesn't happen the way that they thought it would. It didn't happen the way that we often think it would. And I know that in this room this morning, there's many of us here sitting here, and we have maybe a promise from God. We have things that we feel God has spoken over us. Even in the generic sense that you, you understand God's love for you, he, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. But the, I know that in this room that there are circumstances, there are life issues that are happening with every single one of us where we'd say, God, this doesn't seem to make any sense. You've said one thing that I'm going to be a blessing and people will bless me or that those who curse me, you will curse. And God, it just doesn't feel like that. Right now, I'm kind of like leaning toward the deist part of Christianity where I believe that you're up there. I really understand that you're the big God who created everything, but it feels like you're just standing away from a distance because if I say, look at what's going on with my family. Look at what's going on with my finances. Look at what's going on with, with my, my health. All these kind of things. You're a deist God. It's not working out the way I thought it would. And we're not called to walk that kind of Christianity. See, God in his love for us has so much more than him just kind of standing, at a, standing afar and just going, you'll figure it out. And it's hard in the middle of those things. It was hard for Israel to say God's with us. It was hard for Abraham to understand this promise because he looked and he said, my wife, she's like 100 years old. I mean, you see in the story, even she laughs and goes, you know, God comes back with meeting with Abram. Abram's all excited. <sighs> Guess what? I just met with God. And she's like, yeah, get it out. You know, and he's like, he just told me we're going to have a bunch of kids. What does she do? <laughs> right? Are you out of your mind? Oh, here's the big one. Okay. All right. And it's easier for us to look at our circumstances than it is to look at the truth of who God is. Now remember the theme of Exodus is God drawing out his people 
to bring them into something. I want to give us three things this morning, what I feel in light of the Scripture that God is going to draw us out of and bring us into. But before we do that, let's just turn to one more story in in the Genesis chapter 22. This is verses 1 through 8. Abram has finally had a son. God has changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram means little dad or little father. And now he's become Abraham, which is the father of many, father of many nations. Even in his name, God is faithful. And so Abraham has finally had a son, Isaac. He's done all this. He's, he's messed up the story many times. He's tried to have a, ha, have a child with his uh, midwife, and that goes wrong. And he finally stays faithful and believes God for who he is, and he has a son, Isaac. And then chapter 22 comes along. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Isn't that crazy? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Could you imagine, like, on that journey, you start to see it. This is becoming more and more real. And I don't know if there was dread or absolute faith. Some preachers say, no, Abraham knew exactly what was going to happen right from the beginning. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that exactly. But could you imagine walking up? This is about to take place. And Abraham, verse 5 said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. It's getting real now. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Now Isaac's starting to catch on, right? And Isaac says to his father, I always, I don't know why, but I always imagine this little portion is a little British accent, little boy. (laughs) Father. (laughs) He said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the the fire and the wood, but uh, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says an incredible statement here. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Isn't that incredible? You know, this theme of trusting God, this theme of God's salvation is over and over. If we were to continue reading this story, you'd see a ram that gets caught, its horns get caught in a bush. It can't get itself out. And it's not like, oh, coincidence, this happens to be there. It's God's providence. And you and I this morning can either get caught up in the fact that things aren't going our way and the, thing, the way that we didn't think they would, that we'd have heard all these blessings that what it would be like to be a Christian, but how come this isn't happening? Or we can be like Abraham and trust God through every single portion that God will provide even when things aren't happening the way we think they should. 
I'm just going to give us three quick points and we'll be done. What's God calling us out of and into this morning? Number one, I believe God is wanting to call us out of believing lies and into believing truth. Now, what do I mean by that? If you see this theme, the fall, sin first happens when Eve believes a lie that the enemy tells her. She believes a lie, not just about her circumstance, but she ultimately believes a lie about who God is. And for you and I this morning, who have these, there's hope in our heart, but our circumstances may not match up to the hope that we're living in, the, the option sometimes is to believe a lie about who God is. But that's the old way. That's the old slavery way. See, what God's calling you and I this morning as a people who are being drawn out of slavery is not to look at our circumstances and say, God's bad, but to believe the truth about who God is. Even when it seems difficult. Even when it seems hard. Even when our health, even when our finances, even when our relationships don't seem to match the blessing of what we feel God has said. Um, Often what we do is we attribute God being kind of a mean, ogre kind of God. You know, you ever heard that story about a little kid who's about to rush into traffic, and the dad, the mom's saying, now, Johnny, don't go out in the street. And they're like, "Eh, you have to keep bringing it back. Johnny, don't go back out in the street. Why? Because the dad or mom doesn't want their little kid to get squashed, right, and ran over. All of a sudden, the mom and dad are talking, and they notice little Johnny, what's he doing? He's going back out in the street. There's a car coming. What does the dad do? Runs over there, horse collars Johnny, whoosh, brings him right back in. Right? What does Johnny do? <laughs> Starts crying. You're so mean, dad, because he's scared the dickens out of this little kid. And he's like, my dad's just a meanie. What? Is this dad mean? No. He's loving. Well, that's not how I wanted the story to happen. I wanted to go explore this area. And Dad has said, no, this will kill you. And for often, so many times, we attribute God to being this mean God because he's rescuing us out of situations. God knows the end from the beginning. Israel didn't know why they had to go into slavery. Abram didn't necessarily know, or Abraham, why he had to go up in, in this hill and his faith be tested? But God in his goodness knows. Number two, God wants to call us out of hearing what we want and into accepting what we need. Genesis chapter 15, we don't have time to look there. But God in his wisdom and in his kindness, when he promises Abraham that his family will be many nations, He says something really specific. He says, your family will be sojourners and exiles in a foreign land for 400 years. Now, why was this part of the story not passed down from generation to generation? Because the human heart says, I ain't trying to hear that. The human heart, don't we all do it? We all like the parts of the story that we like, and we omit the parts of the story that we don't. 
And when God comes in in his kindness and in his wisdom says, hey, just so you know, I'm going to prepare your heart for this, there might be some turbulence up ahead. When the, air, when the pilot gets on, he says, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we've uh, brought the fasten seatbelt sign back up because uh, we're about, probably going to experience some turbulence. And if you're just like, I ain't trying to hear that, sitting in the airplane, and you're like, take the buckle off, Boom, you hit some turbulence, your head hits the ceiling, you're knocked out, now everybody's got to suffer because they got to land the plane early, right? Take you out on a stretcher. But we do the same thing. God says, hey, by the way, this is going to happen. And they're all in shock. What's going on? Where is God? You would see over and over if this part of the story was told to be like, God, you're faithful. You're true. Your words come true. And we know that you already know the end from the beginning, so we can trust you in this. But we often just go, well, where's God? He doesn't hear us. He doesn't know. And we need to hear the truth. God wants to bring us out of that this morning. Christianity is not all just gumdrops and lollipops and whipped cream and strawberries. I know. There's some tough stuff in Christianity. But God, Christianity is that I will be with you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Last one. God wants to bring us out of settling for comfort and into obedient action. We're just going to end with this verse. Genesis chapter 50. Now we read about how they got to, to Egypt, and it's because of Joseph. And remember, Exodus isn't this isolated story. It's connected through all of Scripture. And if we read the end of, of the Genesis story here in verse 25 through 26, Joseph has his departing words to his sons and to Israel. And he says this, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He's in Egypt when he's saying this. And he's telling them, listen, Israel, the promise is not Egypt. The promise is not this land. I know that we came here to escape famine. I know that we flourished as our family settled here. But this isn't the end of the story. And see, what happened was Israel started believing this was the end of the story. This is where we should settle, settle and stay. And what God was calling them out of was a bigger promise, a bigger picture, more of a blessing. And we read that, we, we'll see it further on and further on. God takes them out into a land of abundance. But what Israel got confused was, this is it. We've reached the promised land. But you'll see back with Joseph, he says, this isn't it, guys. Promise, swear that you'll take my bones out of here to the land that God is calling us to. And what, what, what God's drawing us out of this morning is, so many of us here, we may be just in a comfortable place. It's easy. It's what we know. We may be in a little bit of slavery spiritually, but this is my comfort zone. And God is saying, uh-uh, this isn't for you. I have so much more for you. 
Don't settle for the scraps. Don't settle for just these little things or what you say is a promise from God. I have so much more for you. Don't give in to comfort. And God wants to draw us out of this comfort into a life of obedience, into a life of the next step. I don't know what that is for you this morning. We all have our different things that God is calling us. He may be, even this morning, getting in your nest, sticking little thorns in there, agitating you, putting rocks. You know, birds do that when they're trying to get their little birds to learn how to fly. They start putting all these things in the nest that the bird, when it sits down, goes, whoa, what the heck is that? That's not comfortable anymore. And some of us this morning might be going, whoa, what the heck is going on in my life? There's this agitation in God and his his design and his providence and his love and his grace for you is going, (laughs) I put that little thorn in there but it's because I want you to leave the nest. I want you to spread your wings and fly so that others can be blessed by you and see my glory and so that you can tell others about how great I am. And we just go, no, 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 I like this nest right here. My mom and dad bring me the food every day. It's so easy. The reason why you and I can do this is because the heel of our Savior was bruised and the head of the serpent was crushed. See, if we're trying to do all of what I'm encouraging us to do this morning on our own, it'd be impossible. We have a Savior who took our bruising for us. All the way back in Genesis 3, He took our transgressions, He took our iniquities, He took our infirmities, and He suffered for you and me. But in his suffering, he was victorious. Crushed the head of the serpent. When a serpent's head is crushed, it has no bite anymore. And that's been done for you and me this morning. Can we stand? That was a lot of history A lot of information, a lot of going back and forth. But for us this morning, there is a call. Maybe I didn't even like hit one of the points of God wanting to draw you out of something and into. But I think we can all agree the process that God, when He's working in us to draw us into something, isn't easy. And maybe there are lies that you're believing about God because you're seeing your circumstances. Or maybe there's things that you're just trying to like, if I plug my ears, it'll go away. Or maybe there's this area of faith that God's calling you to step out of this morning. Maybe it's something different. I don't know. But can we just allow the Holy Spirit to recognize what He's wanting to draw us out of and say yes to the things that he's wanting to bring us into. I know that means it's scary. I know that means it could be taking a step into an area, uncharted territory. But God's promise is that he will never leave us or forsake us. And his heel was bruised on our behalf and the head of Satan has been crushed. So Holy Spirit, Will you work in our hearts this morning? Will you...
draw us out of whatever we need to be drawn out of this morning. Whether it's slavery to something, whether it's sin, whether it's fear, whether it's doubt, we just want to loosen our grip of that stuff. And by your faith and by a deep-rooted knowledge that you are not a God who just kind of stands from afar watching us, that you are intimately involved in our lives. We let go and we hold on to you this morning. It's really what we're doing, God, is we're repenting. We're turning from one thing and we're turning to you. So will you help us, Holy Spirit? Will you empower us, Holy Spirit? Will you Give us courage, Holy Spirit, to let go, to cling to you. Even as we take communion this morning, God, as we, as we worship you, as we sing, as we give in our finances, as we partake of communion, all of, all of this worship this morning, let it be done with a gratitude of knowing that we can let go of the past, let go of things that are holding us and we can hold on to you because your heel was bruised and the head of the serpent was crushed. We do this remembering you this morning. We do this thanking you. We do this with gratitude in our hearts knowing that you made a way, Jesus, that we can give, that we can sing, that we can let go. Do this in your name, Jesus. Amen.